0: This is On and Off Your Mat podcast episode twenty-seven. When writing heals, my name is Erica, and I'm your host. For this episode, I sat down with Sarah Ezrin. Sarah is a writer, yoga teacher, and teacher trainer based out of San Francisco. Bringing a background of psychology and life coaching, she uses yoga to connect people to their brightest and most authentic self through classes, trainings, workshops, and retreat at home and across the globe that are infused with humor and positivity. Before we get to the episode today, I just wanted to mention on my end, I have two events coming up, one in May and one in June. On May 11th at Suka Yoga in Novato, I'm offering my favorite workshop, Roll, Release and Relax. It's a true chance to let go of long-held tensions and stress. You'll feel incredibly rested after. And then on June 16th, I have a one-day retreat. It's the perfect day long to take a break from your busy life to connect with yourself, with nature and with community. As always, I really appreciate your support. So as you leave a review on iTunes or on your iPhone podcast app, you automatically enter a giveaway. Atleta is generously continuing to support this podcast in their effort to ignite a community of strong women who lift each other up and is giving out a $75 shop card. If you want to know more about the giveaway or my upcoming events, stay tuned. I'll give more details at the end of the show and I'll announce the winner of our last giveaway. Now to the episode. Take a listen. The subject is a little bit different, but I'm sure you'll feel super inspired. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Erica. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. Sarah is a friend and a colleague now, even a brand ambassador with me for Athleta, But when we met, she was one of my teacher trainers in my 300 hour. Um, I've always loved her class, her playfulness, and her sense of community. And I recently discovered another side to her. Her incredible talent for writing. So today we're sitting together to talk about how writing can be healing when we go through hardship. So Sarah, before we dig in into that subject, can you tell us a bit about yourself and your yoga journey? Yes, thank you. Um, Thank you again for having me.
1: Um, Yeah. So really my yoga journey began for me when I was 19 years old. My dad sent me a yoga VHS. I'm aging myself right now. And I think he sent it more of as a joke saying you're turning 19. It's start to take care of yourself. Time to start taking care of yourself. Um, and I, it was kind of amazing. He ended up sending me, it was Ganga Rich and Tracy White of the White Lotus Foundation. So these really important, amazing teachers. And I fell in love right away. And my roommate at the time, whose name is Allison Duckworth, she's also a well-known teacher on the um, Pacific Northwest coast. She became a yoga teacher later in life too. And we would literally like roll the trundle beds out of the way, do shoulder stand in the middle of the room, no blankets, craning our neck to look at the TV. But we were hooked from day one. And then you know I was in and out of yoga here and there, and I, I really came back to it when I was working in the film industry. I was working in the movie business for a producer, and at the time, you know, just miserable and uh, literally, you know, it was I, I was one of the things that I thought I had to do as a Jewish girl from the west side of LA. It just felt like that was like what you have to do, so. <laughs> I every day would, you know, drive to work and I knew I wasn't living my truth, but I thought it was something that I had to do and so I, you know, just became more and more miserable. I literally got an ulcer. My my body started to repel what I was doing and my sister said, "You know, I think it's time you get back to yoga." So I would drive from Hollywood to Santa Monica and take these 8:30 p.m. classes and it changed my life immediately. Mm. And then my mom got diagnosed as having terminal cancer. And it was one of those eye-opening moments where life is too short and I realized that I had a choice, and I made a choice. And I left my job in the film industry, a well-paying, secure job to try and teach yoga, and here we are
0: almost 12 years later. Wow. Kind of wild. Definitely. Aside from teaching, as I mentioned, you've been writing a lot. Why did you start? Mm. I've
1: always written. I mean, literally, since I could put pen to word, and uh, it, when I started writing around my teaching, it was just another way to share this amazing practice, uh, and another way to be able to explain the things that I. I try to teach in classes, but that I don't think we quite uh, get through necessarily. If someone's struggling in Warrior Two, it's a little hard to hear, you know, why perseverance is an important thing to have. <laughs> so I figured, okay, let's uh, let's you know share this in a way that is a little bit more digestible. And it's become this incredible outlet for me. It's a major part of my ritual mm. every day and. It's, it's actually, you know, I'm, I hesitate to say this, but I'll put it out into the universe. It's, it's kind of becoming a bigger role in my life, even mm. than than just, just asana practice. I think it's its own practice of yoga.
0: Mm-hmm. So how is it affecting you day to day? Do you know how? Every day. Up? Yeah. I mean, every day I
1: wake up and I do the same thing. So every day I wake up and I write for an hour, an hour and a half. And that is just part of my practice, where before I used to do a two, two and a half hour flow, I was in Ashtangi for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, when I moved to San Francisco to be with my now husband, I started to shift my priorities and I wanted to do something more creative. And it meant having to let go of the physical practice mm-hmm. in order to open up space for this, this different side of the practice. And so it is a daily practice that I do now. And, and yes, my asana has gotten a little bit shorter, but it's its own yoga. I mean, it's, it's truly the flow state in a way that I haven't felt in a, in a very long time. It just comes through me.
0: Mm, that's amazing. Some of the pieces you wrote were very personal and vulnerable. I mean, the pieces you published. Um, I'm sure the one you write just for yourself are also. But what's the worth for you of sharing in that way?
1: I know no other way to be. I've always lived with my heart on my sleeve, and I've always been an extremely open person because I feel like there's great healing in our vulnerability. Mm. I learn from others, and, and I hope I can help others, too. So, you know, I'll be honest, you know, I think part of the motivation behind writing, there is a selfish motivation at first because it is a catharsis for me to be able to understand and articulate the emotions that are going through me. Mm-hmm. And then once it's on paper, then I have this this feeling like I must share it. I must get it out there. So even though it does start selfishly, it is definitely for me just in the getting it onto paper. Once it's on paper, it, it's for everyone else. I mean, and I think... I'm just a conduit to get those words out to help others. So how much of what
0: you write you share publicly? Everything. Oh, you do? <laughs> Literally everything. I didn't know that. Yeah.
1: I mean, you know, I used to journal privately to myself, but pretty much everything I'll put out there, if somewhere we'll publish it. I think that's what it comes down to. And I, I do share things personally through my... My website as well, but every single thing that I write down, I put out there, whether it's on my Instagram or through articles, or I have it shared through third parties, you know, like mm-hmm. I write for Yoga Journal and stuff like that. But, you know, even m- most of the time it'll be through my own page and yeah, I put it all out there. Wow. No shame.
0: One of the pieces that I've read online from you is called Recovering from Myself. Yeah. You talked about an injury recovery and how the experience ended up being more than physical. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Can you tell us what happened? Definitely. Um, So that was a piece
1: I wrote. I wrote it for Yoga Poetica, Mm -hmm. which was a, and I'm hoping that we do more um, issues of this because it's a really, really amazing online publication, many different teachers around uh, the United States and just a beautifully curated publication from the pictures to the writing. So I got to give a shout out to David Lynch in LA because this is his baby. And thank you for putting me in there. I wrote it. Literally during my shoulder surgery, I had uh, an almost total reconstruction of my right shoulder in January 2017, and I started to write it with one hand, hunt and pecking with one finger. And what the piece is really about is my addiction to the busyness, my addiction to the hustle, and that, you know, it takes a major injury, and that's not my first, I'll be honest. I've had many of them. <laughs> it often takes a major injury or upset to kind of shake things up and, and get me to slow down. But with this one, what was unique was that it was I was actually able to listen and, and willing to make a shift. And what I realized is that it wasn't the shoulder surgery I was recovering from, but it was my ability to admit that I am addicted to my work and to busyness and success as a value system, and and shaking that up, and starting to change things, and and really recognizing my wholeness as just me.
0: Mm-hmm. What was different that time around?
1: I think part of it was being with my husband, so having this mirror mm. to reflect back to me. Um, it was the time of recovery, you know, with the other ones. I I think you know, and I do think age has something to do with it. Honestly, I think when I was younger, I'd have these really major injuries, and I just kind of plow through them. But with this one, I was forced. I mean, I I couldn't work for three months. I couldn't use my arm. And anytime I tried to do something active, I actually ended up having this nerve thing going on in my upper back where I like literally, the only thing I could do was lay down. (laughs) So I think the, you know, having been there, my husband reflecting back to me, loving compassion, which was something I'm still working on with myself, but also the universe literally forcing me to stop moving. Those were some key elements to mm-hmm. to get me to have to look at it in a way that I don't think I had to before.
0: Would you have any advice for yoga students listening that are dealing with injuries? Is there something you wished you understood earlier or mm. does it just all happen when it needs to happen?
1: No. And I think it's, you know, I mean, so many people are like, oh, injuries are a blessing. And, and I, I think in hindsight, you can think that. But when you're in it, it's okay to be upset about it. You know, it feels unfair and it, it can feel maddening. Um, and frustrating. I think, you know, the, the biggest thing that I wish I had done and the thing that I'm trying to do much more of these days is that when there is an initial injury to rest it, Mm -hmm. and that doesn't mean to stop doing your practice altogether. Because I also have the other side of the spectrum of students who, you know, they feel a twinge in their shoulder and they never come to class again. And it's like, no, you just need to learn to work in a smarter way. So, you know, resting it, working around the injury, doing other things. Mm -hmm. Yoga is not just asana, right? It is the stilling of the mind. So if you can do that through taking long walks or working with weights and getting creative, but at the same time not pushing the the injured area, then I think that that's a very gentle way of of taking care of it. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a good advice. You have another article on or in LA Yoga Magazine called safe is the new flexible. So it's kind of a same idea. What's your best advice to avoid injury when we don't have them yet in yoga in particular? So safe is
1: the new flexible. Uh, Thank you, Felicia Tomasco, the editor of LA Yoga for um, giving me voice to be able to share that piece. So, this also came out of the shoulder injury., mm-hmm. uh, clearly. I think you know my practice has changed, you know tremendously since the injury. Uh, and just my viewpoint, I, and again, not just the injury, but I think with age and with wisdom, just my viewpoint on on what is important. And really, what that whole piece is about is is our attachment to these poses and these shapes and the insistence that we have to fit some mold. And what happens is we end up trying to, you know, bang a square peg into a circular hole when not all poses are suitable for all bodies. Mm -hmm. And and I, you know, I stand by that statement. Now, that being said, do I think that all of yoga is dangerous? Absolutely not. I know there's a whole movement around that. And I, I, I disagree with that. I think there are ways to modify the poses to make them work for our bodies. And mm-hmm. that's really the best preventative way of going into it is to stop forcing a shape and forcing your body's range of motion when it's not there and to figure out ways to make the posture work for you. So whether that's working with multiple props or shortening your stance or, you know, calling the teacher over and mm-hmm. asking them for advice and help on on how to find comfort in it and, you know, being willing to be your own parent and be like, you know, this is not <laughs> appropriate. You have a neck injury, maybe headstand isn't the best idea today. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you have a shoulder injury, Sarah Ezrin, maybe you shouldn't be binding, you know, 35 poses out of your entire sequence. So I think, you know, clearly speaking to myself there, but, you know, <laughs> I, I think that it's, it's just in, in our approach and remembering the ultimate goal of this practice, which is the
0: quieting of the mind. Mm-hmm. So it takes some awareness yeah. A little courage. Yeah. And a lot of kindness. Yes.
1: Beautifully said. And
0: then asking for help when you don't know where to go from there. And I think there's courage in that, right? hmm Definitely. Uh, you mentioned Yoga Poetica before. You wrote a piece for them called Grief is Good. That one was particularly poignant just because of the subject itself. In the last 10 years, you've grieved an incredible amount of people, including your mom and your brother. Can you tell us a bit about this piece? Yeah. So, you know,
1: this is a good example of one that I definitely wrote for myself, but I felt like needed to be out there. Um, again, I wrote it for Yoga Poetica. And I, I what I appreciate about that publication is that they they let these kind of, you know, these, these very personal, deeply, it, it was almost like a journal entry, right, um, be shared in the public sphere. So, you know, as I mentioned, I lost my mom nine years ago. I lost a brother 10 years ago. I just recently lost a baby. We had a miscarriage at seven weeks. Um, I've lost my aunt, my mom's sister. They were they, lo- they were both sick together and, and died just a few months apart. Mm. Um, we've had a lot of loss in our family. I mean, not including, you know, grandparents in that whole generation. So grief has been something I've been grappling with my whole life. Um, and I remember specifically what what incited me wanting to write this piece is that I was getting my nails done and have yourself a merry little Christmas came on the radio and I burst into tears. And in that moment, I was so ashamed, but also I almost felt like the, like the time space continuum had been removed. And I felt the same level of grief that I felt the day after my mom died even before she died because she was sick and we were grieving her before she passed. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, I felt closer to her. And I realized that as painful as it is, as much as we avoid these feelings, sometimes in that pain, we are being transported back to the loss of that person. And it's kind of like time gets folded in half and we are returned to them for that moment. That It's I can feel as if she was just here Mm. in a way that, you know, I I don't feel in the Mm day-to-day. And it just reminded me that, you know, I I fight it all the time. We all do. It's a scary thing, grief. And anybody that's had a lot of loss or just has those low periods in their life, I know it can feel like a well that'll never stop running. But when we are in it, when we allow it, it has this amazing way of bringing us back to those that have lost, that we have lost.
0: Mm. And do you think that for most people that is enough to step away from the fear or the desire to numb that grief?
1: I think we all do everything we can to avoid it mm-hmm. because it is so, it's so powerful. I mean, I, I wish just with my words <laughs> that I could invite someone to open up to it. I'll say this, you know, I, I think grief, grief finds a way. <laughs> so you think you're numbing, but it's, it's eating away at you in a different way. Um, you know, you you think that you're pushing it down, but it's going to seep out in a different way, whether it's an explosion, you know, or um, or illness or sickness that it, it finds a way to come out. So if there's some way we can make friends with it, you know, we can get private and, and just be with it on a quiet day, pull out old pictures or to put that song on that you've been avoiding and to let it flow in, in a way that you're welcoming it mm-hmm. and allowing it, then when it creeps up on you, because it will, it'll still creep up on you, that maybe there's a bit of more of a familiarity with it. Mm. It won't feel so shocking and the urge won't be to run away, but it'll be like, okay, I'm here again.
0: hmm Yeah. Has your relationship to grief changed over the last decade, either just from time or from the writing itself?
1: Yeah, I mean, 100%. And I think the crazy thing with grief is, you know, it's not linear. It doesn't follow. It's not like time goes on and it gets easier, you know. Um, it doesn't go away, I should say. It just becomes different. And there's some years where it feels like I lost my mom yesterday. There's some where I forget that it's even her death date. You know, I look at the calendar and it's like, oh, my God, it's March 9th. Like, you, you know, it just came out of nowhere. And I think it's always different. You know, it's, it's always, it's always changing with, with what you are losing and grief is not, I, you know, I want to make it really clear that we grieve all the time. Mm-hmm. We grieve the loss of, you know, a job. Clearly we grieve loss when we're moving, you know, you and I are both from different cities. Mm-hmm. Uh, we grieve just when things don't go our way. So mm-hmm. grief is, is something that is very much a part of our life and something that, you know, if we can just learn to not be so afraid of that maybe we can see the beauty in it. Because if we weren't grieving, we wouldn't appreciate what we have.
0: Mm, mm -hmm. Have you ever looked back? You just mentioned that it was March 9th. Um, Looking at entry from that day over the years, like comparing the entries, like in your journal, like comparing what you wrote five years ago, what you wrote this year on the same day, on a day that is so important or... Well, I, you know, ever
1: since she passed, so March 9th was her death day. Mm -hmm. October 4th was her birthday. Mm -hmm. Um, So those are both very celebratory days. And I I have always tried to mark March 9th with something. So in the one year anniversary of her death, I went to Bali. I took myself on a trip to Southeast Asia. I'd never been Mm -hmm. and took myself on a trip there. Then the following year I took, you know, went to India And every year thereafter, you know, I've been on some sort of significant trip or done some sort of, you know, important memorial Mm. moment to mark that time. But definitely in the later years, there has been a year or two where it's like, oh my God, you know, and usually, honestly, I know on the day, you know, I, I was, I think I was exaggerating when I was saying that earlier, but what happens usually is like, it's March second, you know, or third. And I'm like, why have I been crying for the last two weeks? Why am I yelling at my husband? And then I'm like, oh, right. Like it, it often is correlating with that time period.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. For people that are listening that are grieving, is there something we say we can say to support them? Like, if you have a friend grieving, how do we support people? You know, I can always
1: tell you what... No, I'm just saying.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We can start there.
1: (laughs) You know, I think the most important thing when you're holding space for someone that is grieving, and, and I say holding space because that is what... That's the most healing thing we can do for another person. You're not going to fix them. We're not going to take this pain away. There's nothing we can say that will take the pain away or that will bring that person back or that will remedy whatever the circumstances that that person has lost. But instead, what we can do as friends and as loved ones is, is called holding space, which is being present with them, listening empathetically, so eye contact, nodding, and you know, just saying things like, I understand, or I'm so sorry, I can imagine how hard that is for you, goes such a long way.
0: Mm.
1: I mean, I'm thinking more specifically, I want to bring up the miscarriage, because there's so many things that people say that are, you know, everybody's intentions are always so good, and, and I understand where they're coming from. But for example, you know, people will say to me, well, at least you know you can get pregnant. And what that does personally is it kind of diminishes the loss mm-hmm. of the baby that's no longer here. Because, yes, I know we can get pregnant. or We think we can, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't take away from, from the baby that's lost.
0: One has nothing to do with the other. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And, I, and, you know, similarly with mom, it's like, well, you know, you, you're so lucky you had a good relationship with your mom. Well, okay, and I, and I am. And I know that. I can tell myself that. Mm -hmm. But for a friend, I would rather someone just say, I know you miss her. Mm. It's the reflection back that helps to hold the space, not trying to fix or manage. Mm -hmm. And I think that's hard for people because it scares them. It brings up their own grief, you know, and their own fears around that.
0: I wonder if the challenge is to relate without bringing your own experience into it. And Mm -hmm. that's what people are struggling with. And that's what's hard to receive when you receive the experience of other people and you're like, well, I'm in my grief now and I want you to support me.
1: I definitely think there's that side of things, you know, or, or some people, you know, I lost my mom. I was like 26 years old, you know, and 27. And she, um, she died right after my birthday. And like, none of my friends had lost a parent by that point. Nobody knew, none of us could relate to that. So that actually, it was kind of the converse of what you're saying, but similar is like, that made it really hard because they didn't have anything to relate it to. So how do you hold space for that? You know, and, and people try to kind of compare losses, but it's never the same, right? Like mm. even from my sister to myself, losing our mom is an individual experience. Of course. So really our job as you know, the best thing we can do for those we love is just be there for them and support and, and hold space. I mean, that's, it's, and it's a, it's a hard skill, you know, it's something like you, we have to learn over time and just simply being there for one another, Mm -hmm. reflecting the pain, acknowledging it, and then not trying to fix it, being with them in it.
0: Uh, If we compare the stories of injury and the stories of grief, I feel like they have two theme in common. Uh, One is the desire and the inability to control Mm. life. (laughs) in
1: general story of my life yes <laughs> lesson of my life
0: and then the other one is facing loss whether it's through you know physical literally having to stop using your shoulder or the loss of someone was that conscious or planned or is it just themes that are just part of your life in general and naturally flow through at you right
1: no i think this is my karma for <laughs> sure I literally think, you know, I'm somebody that's very attached and likes to hang on to things. And, you know, the universe likes to remind me every day that things are constantly changing. There's, you know, no guarantee um, and 100%, the injuries are grief. I still grieve my old practice. Mm-hmm. I still, you know, even though I know, I know, like it doesn't make me happy. There's no joy at the end of the dropbacks. You know, it's like I still am, like, oh, if I could just stand up and drop back again, you know, my morning would be so much better. <laughs> but I, you know, I also know that that's that's not reality, right? That's just my ego. My ego's attachment to what used to be. But I, I definitely think that they're they're interconnected. And it, it is, it's, it's all, you know, being with the changes, the ebbs and the flows, the comings and the goings mm-hmm. and, you know, remembering that when things leave, but other things come in their place, right? So mm-hmm. yes, okay, I can't do the practice I used to do, but it left space for my writing in a way that, you know, I never would have had before had I still had the... the obsession. I was going to say dedication, but really it was an obsession with my physical practice, you know? And like, I lost my dog who was like a daughter and I truly, truly believe my husband wouldn't have come into my life if she weren't sick. Like I, I do, I do believe that, you Mm -hmm. know, this Mm -hmm. is, this is nature. It's the ebb and the flow, the wax and the wane.
0: Mm.
1: It's just the, the waning that's hard.
0: That idea of control also applies in other aspects of your life. I've heard you have read about um, anxiety or relationship with food and body image, to name a couple. So do you feel like control is also part of that letting go that you need to work on? Or, Yeah, girl. I I was born <laughs> – my dad was a
1: record producer. So I was born into a house filled with rock stars. My siblings are all 10 to 15 years older than me. Mm. So it was like a revolving door. Mm. It was so vibrant and super exciting, but it was also very chaotic. Mm -hmm. And even though there was a lot of love and that was always consistent, the floor was always shifting, as my dad would say. So I never really had anything to hang on to. You know, we moved innumerable times. I mean, I had moved like, you know, five times before I was even 13 years old including countries and cities. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, you know, for me, control has always been this ongoing issue. And so I used everything I could to try to find some semblance of control. For safety. 100%. To, to give myself the illusion of feeling like I was in control. So whether that was drugs and alcohol in high school or an eating disorder in college, or eventually, you know, my yoga practice, becoming obsessed around that, my workaholism, which I am still grappling with and, and you know, in recovery towards, all of these things were these outside things that I felt like I could control. Of course, we know that we can't control any of those things. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you think you control your body and then you have a miscarriage. And you realize, no, you know, there it doesn't matter. I mean, I always thought, well, if I just work out this certain amount of taiz and, you know, eat the certain amount of food, everything's in my hands. And that's it, not the case, you know, or you get injured or you get sick. You think you're in control of your work and then something shifts and you don't get the job that you think you wanted or something doesn't work out in the way that you think it should. And so all of these things are an illusion,
0: mm-hmm. but all
1: of it was in, in an in an effort to manage my constant anxiety of things feeling uncertain, mm-hmm. so my work now is really compassion. It's really learning to be with that little girl self, that little anxious girl, and not putting her in a corner, trying to sh- you know, shush her, and telling her to pull it together, which I used to do all the time. And mm-hmm. my siblings and my parents would tell me, "You know, God love them. I- They had bigger things going on, but, you know, for me now, it really is me being kind to myself and to stop looking for these outside things, to find that peace and and just to be with her and everything she's feeling.
0: Have you ever thought about the idea or reflected on the possibility of creating chaos in your own life to face that again and again, or like by yourself, or is it just external in your opinion? That I create the drama? <laughs> not the drama, but yeah. like I'm putting it to a baby Maybe big. as a teenager, for sure, right? It's like, you know, you would definitely be stirring stuff up. Do I think I attract? Like subconsciously, obviously you don't do this on purpose yeah. and I'm not saying you do either. I'm just curious. I think the, the things we need to work on somehow we bring it in our 100%. life.
1: 100%. Yeah. So this is my karma, right? Yeah. This is what I'm working through in this lifetime. And I'm sure many, many lifetimes before. <laughs> so do I think that, yes, like I've had a lot of loss to deal with for that reason? 100%. Mm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: 100%. And every single time that I'm confronted with these things, it is an opportunity to change and to grow and to learn from it if I'm willing. Mm-hmm. You know. So yeah, I, I definitely believe that. Yeah. The universe puts things in your path. That you know, and this is it's this is what we're here to do. This is a school, right? We're here to learn these lessons over and over again, and until we learn them, we keep repeating the same class.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Coming back to your writing, is there a subject you've been wanting to write about or get published on that you haven't, and you're hoping to do in the near future? So, you know,
1: it, I was thinking about that that question because we did talk a little bit about some of the questions you were going to ask, and and you had mentioned that one, and and it's funny because. I think nothing is off limits. I mean, I would love to write a book. I would love to write a book. I would love to write a, you know, a healing book. So whether that's, you know, I, I want it to be around self-love, which is something I already write about all the time. So mm-hmm. I think as a different format, I would love to write a book. Mm-hmm. Um, as I'm going down this path of motherhood, this is definitely a whole new experience for me and 100% something I want to write further on. hmm but I really think that everything is revealed as I experience it. So I almost can't foresee yet the things that I want to write about. I, I think the format's going to change, like I said. And, you know, potentially as I go deeper down these, this journey, um, then I'll be able to dive a little deeper into it. But I'm pretty blessed in that everything I want to write about, I, I managed to get out there, you know, and I think it's just, you know, the human condition. So we all can relate.
0: Mm-hmm. Is there one piece in particular that you feel had a bigger impact on you, like from either sharing it or writing it itself?
1: So I wrote a piece for Mind Body Green that was on anxiety. Mm -hmm. And that one was like a little less than a year ago. And that one, that was a really important one. Part of it was... I wrote it more from like a first-person perspective of what is it like to live with anxiety on the day-to-day. I didn't try to provide a solution because I don't know if there is yet or at mm-hmm. least I'm not there yet. You know, as mm-hmm. I said, I'm I'm working on just being compassionate with the anxiety right now. At least that's where I am in this phase of my healing. And I couldn't believe – I mean, I've published things and have people write me all the time. But the outpouring of response mm-hmm. from this one – in, and how I even felt having put it out there, it, it felt like I had stepped into a new phase of my own voice. And it was just a way to share where I wasn't trying to like sound good. I wasn't trying to solve the problem. I wasn't trying to fit the mold of some, um, you know, publication and, and use their voice. It was like just me in, in all my rawness. And the fact that it was as received as it was, was remarkable. So that was a hugely therapeutic one for me. I mean, like I said, the ones from Yoga Poetica are great, you know, were amazing too. And I love all my babies all the same. But that's one that was particularly, you know, more, more the response that I got from it was, you know, it just felt so meaningful to me, what people were telling me and sharing with me about their own experience. And people were saying, you've put words to this thing I've been dealing with my whole life and I couldn't explain like that. That's a big deal.
0: Yeah, they felt supported or understood. Yeah, seen. Yeah. To yoga teachers or bloggers out there that want to write or they write, they have their own blog but they feel like no one is reading. What do you say to them?
1: Keep writing every day <laughs> 200 words. That's it. You don't have to write your book tomorrow. You know, literally show up every single day and write. It's it is like our yoga practice, you know, and Some days it flows through you, and most of the time it's like you're practicing your scales, you know? Mm -hmm. You're just getting anything you can out there. But I truly believe that everybody has a story, and we just have to share it. So if that's through words, if that's your way and your medium, then you got to do it. It will get out there.
0: What's the writing process like for you when it's not just for yourself, when you're collaborating with magazines or online publication? How does that go? So it varies. Some publications they'll
1: give me a subject matter to write on. Um, most of the time, I'm pitching them, and you know it depends on the publication. Like you, you have kind of different styles for each publication. Ones, you know, some are a little bit more like fun, and you know, um, you can have a little more tongue and cheek in your tone, and then others are a little more well researched and something that you know, it's, um, it, it reads a little more like a term paper, more clinical. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of the time with the editors, I'll send them the article. So, so originally you have the idea, right? So either they come to me and then I send them the piece or I go to them and they green light it. And then I'll send them the article. And then after that, it depends on the publication, but there can be a back and forth process. Like some of them, I have a Google doc and we just go back and forth a few rounds of edits. Others I send to them and then when it publishes, it's like, that's it, you know, and um, some will completely change everything I've done and um, others leave most of what I've done and just kind of fix the, you know, the, the little blemishes that I didn't pick up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it, it, yeah, it all varies.
0: Any advice for teachers that want or that consider freelance writing as a way to diversify their teachings or your income. I don't know if that's a... I don't think any of us went into (laughs) yoga teaching or writing to get rich. I think think all of us are
1: doing this to be selfless and of service. And I'm laughing because, you know, these are like the two least lucrative jobs out there. Not to say that you can't, right? I mean, all of us can find success. And I do believe, you know, I'm a huge believer in the sustainability principle that like, look, are we going to be, you know, gazillionaires off of this? I don't know. There's some, you know, shooting stars that 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 happens for. That's their darn but for the most of us, like we're, the universe supports us, and, and we're able to provide for ourselves and, and live comfortably when you're living your your truth. And so, you know, I think the advice is like the yoga practice: you show up to the mat every day, you show up to your computer every single day. And when there's heart behind it and intention, and you're sharing from your truth, then that is your success. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's the success. If that piece helps somebody, if you have one person in one of your classes that has moved, that is a successful day.
0: Amazing. Anything else you want to add about writing in general or we haven't mentioned that you wanted to touch on today before we wrap up?
1: I think I just, you know, want to reiterate that the writing is a practice like any other. And, you know, that it's it takes a perseverance mm. and a dedication, but to not give up. You know, if, if you are truly moved to do this, if there is something inside of you, I don't think you can give up. I think it drags you to the computer every day. And I think it, you know, it makes you sit there, whether you're looking at a blinking cursor or not. And to just trust, like I said, that when you are living from your heart, however you're sharing that teaching, writing, singing, you know, dancing, that you are already a huge success. Mm.
0: That's a great way to finish. I will put all your info in the show notes, but in the meantime, where's the best place for people to find you if they want to say hello or study with you or they want to find all those beautiful writings? Thank you. Um, So my website has
1: everything on there as far as you can link to, I I do a lot of writing for Yoga Journal, for Yoga International, Yoga Poetica, like you mentioned. So that's all on my website, sarahezrinyoga.com. But um, in San Francisco, if you ever come and visit, I am teaching mostly at Yoga Tree 6th Avenue, um, as well as Yoga Works San Francisco. And I do go back and forth to LA and do some teaching down there, but everything's on my website and and on social media, which Erica will include. So I would love to connect to any of you. And please feel free to send me messages and ask me any questions. I am an open book and I love to share and help. And thank you, Erica, so much for all you do and having me here.
0: Thank you so much for your time and your openness. That was amazing. Thank you so much for listening. We have other great guests coming up, so make sure to subscribe. Now, if you want to make my day, help other people find this podcast and get your chance to win a $75 shop cart from Atlada, all you have to do is head on to iTunes or on the podcast app of your iPhone and click write a review. As you leave your review, you automatically enter our giveaway and I announce the winner at the end of the next episode. If you're newer to reviews or you're having issues with iTunes, you can check out the show notes for instruction that are more detailed or for info about our guests of today. You can also visit my website, ericabelangercom slash blog dash podcast for those two things and to find more info about my day retreat and a link for a registration there. And if you're interested in the May workshop instead, you can register online at sukayoga.com, and that is yoga.com. Our last episode was also supported by Athleta. Thank you so much if you left a review. Really, there was some great comment left, but there can only be one winner. And the episode's randomly picked winner is iTunes user Tara Barra. Tara said, I love this podcast episode with Janet Stone. It was so interesting to hear her talk about the eight limbs of yoga and Erica asked questions which really enlightened the content. I always recommend this podcast to my friends because it covers everything yoga. Erica's upbeat, friendly attitude is engaging to our guest and the audience. Thank you, Erica. Well, thank you, Tara, for your comment. Email me at erica.belanger at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram and I'll send you your shop cards. And also, big shout out to S.A.J.J., Hello Kilo and Hannah Harwood. I really appreciate you guys before we go I just wanted to say a last thank you to Alexander Saba working in the background creating the music editing and mastering this podcast so once again thank you for joining us and until next time I hope